Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 213 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of one of my favorites, the Japanese Grand Prix from Suzuka. I'm Robin Warner, and again, I am joined by the wonderful, amazing, and unsinkable, we just learned, Christopher Roche. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Not so sure about wonderful and amazing, but I am Chris Roche. How's everyone doing? <laughs> well, I mean, you, uh, as a Brit, must, it's it's like ingrained deep into you, or maybe you learned this in elementary school or whatever you guys call it, that you must self-deprecate all the time at any opportunity, and uh, us Americans are here to lay on some positivity. Yes, it's something I admire about you folks, definitely, but uh, self-deprecation works sometimes as well, so... Well, but to tell you who the, the people, sorry, the talk about, let's talk about the Japanese. Did you see the headgear? Did you see the <laughs> headgear they were rocking hey, on Friday? It was absolutely it's, it's, amazing. It was proper. It was proper. And I loved every moment of it. You know, it, I feel like the Japanese have a reason to be excited and wear proper headgear because it's Suzuka is such a wonderful track. And I, I just, I get excited every year. And every year, in one form or another, it delivers, I think, a really fascinating race. And that's this is one of the few cars where, even if the race itself is boring, it's still good. Just be, just the exercise of maximizing a car's capabilities around a track like Suzuka is fascinating to watch. And so it's, it's really one of the greats, as far as I'm concerned. And I swear they, they spent the entire year between the F1 races, preparing their headgear, costumes, <laughs> signage. That's like 364 days work there, right, right there. I think it's oh. all those outfits. I'll, I'll tell you that uh, the brainstorming definitely starts the Monday after the Grand Prix for the 2018 headgear. I'm sure we're going to see some amazing stuff. So, And uh, I'm sure some Honda, Honda emblems with Toro Rosso colors are already in the works. So... Smoking gently. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Listen, um, it's just it. Uh, it's becoming a broken record. Lewis Hamilton is now fifty nine points clear of Sebastian Vettel. And uh, you just did uh, as we got started that uh, spark plugs are not Ferrari's best friend at the moment. It just. Do you want to give us a brief, you know, overview of what happened here? Yeah, well, they've uh, their unreliability from Malaysia carried on into Japan, and uh, qualif- they got through practice, they got through qualifying, but then uh, after the warm-up lap to the grid, um, there was a problem with Vettel's car. He thought it was uh, slightly down on power, so they had the engine cover off and did some inspections, but they couldn't find anything obviously wrong that they could fix before the uh, lights went out. So uh, off he went, and you know, within a couple of corners, it was clear the car was was sick. And uh, sure enough, he retired by lap four, which you know is astonishing. After their amazing performance prior to the summer break, you know, they really had no unreliability. Um, the only issue Vettel really suffered was the uh, the puncture at Silverstone. And since the break, it's just been one disaster after another. It's it's an extraordinary change in the season, really. I don't think anyone would have predicted this. Yeah, well, it's it's 
it's foreboding at 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 a minimum for Ferrari, and you know I can't help but at least uh, half heartedly think about the superstition of uh, you know good guy versus bad guy, the racing gods, as you've mentioned in a podcast or two, and just somebody was angered because it's just gone completely upside down for Vettel. And, you know, it was a couple of podcasts ago, I believe after Singapore, that I said, hey, how much is Lewis Hamilton going to win the championship by this year? And you said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But now, now we're four four races to go. We have the United States, we have Mexico, Brazil, and then Abu Dhabi to finish things up. And there's 100 points on the table. <laughs> you know, it there there he's running out of options that Sebastian Vettel. No, I think it's going to be a titanic battle um for second place. We got 13 points between Bottas and Vettel and can can the Finnish driver make it a Mercedes 1-2. I think really that's that's where it's going to be at for the remainder of the season, isn't it? You're not going to catch up 59 points. Uh, you know, to, to put that into perspective, um, Vettel has to finish the last four races, at least on the podium, even to catch up to, to the, the gap that uh, he has to Hamilton. And Hamilton could actually finish almost all four races in fifth place and still take the title. And now, he wouldn't win the title if Vettel won all four races. He'd be one point, point shy. But but that means that in most of the races, both the Ferraris and the Red Bulls could beat him. And um, he'd still be in with a shout. So, yeah, it's not looking uh, it's not looking like Ferrari's year, is it? And one wonders if um, the fight they've put up this year has taken something out of their efforts for next season as well. So... Yeah, worrying times uh, for the Marinello crew, no doubt. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the idea of Botas perhaps catching Vettel, and you know, as you said, he's gained; he's only thirteen points behind. But uh, it was as recently as before the Japanese Grand Prix that a lot of doubts were being raised about Botas and his abilities. Like, well, he's off his form. How long is this going to last? Is you know is this going to encourage Mercedes to look somewhere else? Botas had a strong performance in Japan, you know, despite having a five-place grid penalty um, that uh, put him down towards the bottom of, uh, I don't know if it was fourth or fifth row where he actually started, but he was quarters of the bottom in the top ten. He ended up finishing fourth. Yeah, well, um, he qualified second, didn't he? He was on the front row of the grid or should have been, but then he got a gearbox penalty of five places, so he started seventh. Thank Yes, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, he ended up behind the two Red Bulls of uh, Max and Daniel and gaining on Daniel Ricciardo very, uh, very quickly and just ran out of laps. So Botas seems to be back on form. And if he continues in that form, yeah, <laughs> it, there's, a, there's a couple of big ifs here. I still I have a hard time believing that Ferrari is done for the year, but... I would have had an extremely hard time believing that we'd be in the position we're in now um, just a few weeks ago. So you never know. Yeah. And it, if, if it becomes a Mercedes 1-2, uh, hey, more power to them. But it, that's also a kind it, that's a repeat of what we've seen the last few seasons and what a lot of people were getting tired of. 
Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day because I, I know there's a lot of people who are happy to see Ferrari back in in the in the uh, in the mix, uh, myself included. I mean, we all want to see a bit of competition between the teams, not just inter-team rivalry. And certainly, you know, I got tired of the Rosberg Hamilton battle year after year. But you know, it's hard for me as a as a person who had to witness the Schumacher Ferrari domination in the early noughties to feel much sympathy for Ferrari because at least Mercedes, when they had a really dominant car, allowed their their drivers to race each other, which Ferrari never did. Um, you know, it's been an interesting, fun season. Uh, they haven't quite managed to get across the line, Ferrari. Although, I mean, it, you know, it's still technically possible at this point. But uh, you have to admire the fact that Mercedes have managed to turn things around. They were very competitive in Japan, very quick in quality in particular. Um, they have a they have a tricky car. Uh, you know, it's it's they're admitting now that it's 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 quick. But it's very sensitive. It's temperamental. It's hard to get in the in the sweet spot, and yet you know it looks like they're going to pull off the constructors and drivers championship, which is you know pretty good effort after three seasons of uh, success. So um, you know it's it's been a good team effort for sure. Well, they are 140 points. Excuse me, 145 points clear of Ferrari in the constructors championship. So it's looking very good for Mercedes, for constructors yet again. And it's been fascinating to watch, you know, 540 points to 395 for Ferrari. And in third place, Red Bull with 303. And uh, fourth place, Force India, well clear of Williams in fifth. Uh, Force India has 147 points to Williams 66, which is a little hard to stomach for the nostalgic among us. But uh, there it is. Force India moved into fourth, and they've remained there. They've been strong. But, you know, it's it's fascinating to me because, you know, looking at these race results again, it was Hamilton on top with Red Bull filling out the podium. And it seems to be that Red Bull's form as of late has been quite strong as well. And part of that might just be that they're capitalizing on Ferrari's misfortune. But it does seem like they've had particularly strong race pace in the last two or three Grand Prix and that they themselves have improved. Yeah, I wasn't expecting Verstappen to push Hamilton quite so hard in the race. I mean, they were almost a second off Hamilton's pace in qualifying. Uh, obviously, it was a little warmer on Sunday, and we know that Mercedes seems to struggle in the in the warmer, more humid uh, te- uh, temperature Um but Verstappen, and it was aided a little bit by the safety car and the, the VSC, but but really uh, was pushing Hamilton very hard right to, up to the end. I mean, he was, what, a second second behind him at the flag. So very impressive uh, race from Verstappen, you know, two, two races in a row now. And uh, he's clearly found a lot of pace, a lot of form right at the end of the year after a very tough season for him because he's, he's way down, isn't he, uh, in the driver's championship. What is he? Uh, no, sixth. he's... He's he well way down is a relative term I suppose yes he is way down but he's he's gaining ground fairly quickly you know yeah I mean eighty one points behind his teammate though isn't something he would have wanted at the start of the season but uh, but yeah I mean he he's been showing Ricardo a clean pair of heels um, recently hasn't he and um, uh, and it's been what, what, good to hold watch. on wait Chris whoa whoa what mm. does that mean what does a clean pair of heels mean is that a Britishism <laughs> I have never heard that before. Well, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're basically trailing somebody, aren't you? So all you can see is their the heels of their shoes because they're that far ahead of you. Okay, so it's the showing them showing them your taillights type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair. All right. Yes. Yes. Those clean heels. <laughs> Take that, Ricardo, and then your stupid shoey. I got some clean heels for you, buddy. <laughs> did, you, did you see? Obviously, uh, Ricardo got third place. He held Botas off. Did you see a champagne celebration? I thought that was quite novel. He basically lifted the bottle up, slammed it into the podium to get, yeah. you know, full vertical spray. I thought that was uh, that was that was good. I hadn't seen that one before. Hey, leave Ricardo to be the showman. It's interesting. I feel like the champagne spraying is getting quite a bit. It's getting quite rote. It's uh, it's an exhaustive thing. And it was an American that started at Dan Gurney and his group at Le Mans. It was a brilliantly novel thing then. But, you know, we're we're well 50 years past that now. Okay, and what do you think? Milk drinking, back to that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let's, let's all... Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think they should all take tea. That's what I think they should do. <laughs> Long and Island you, iced tea, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and you know darn well I'd want it iced most of the time. There'd be, oh, there'd be there a go. couple of races where I'd accept a hot tea, but uh, otherwise unacceptable. Anyway, yeah, the... It, there was some novel things going on it, in leave it to Ricardo. Ricardo did the shoey thing. And, uh, and then just as you said, he did the vertical bottle spray and all three of them. I don't know if you noticed this part. They went over and absolutely drenched some of the like Japanese, you know, grid girls or whatever, you know, the, the, sh- the models that they have, you know, in the, uh, traditional garb, they just, they just got drenched. And, uh, um, you know, uh, my buddy, uh, uh, Jamie Price, you know, he's, he's taken, he's been right at the podium for, uh, quite a few Grand Prix to shoot the, um, ceremonies and get those stills. And he's been soaked with champagne a few times. And he said, look, it's no, it's not fun. It's not good. It's not great. Anyway, it's just sticky, nasty nonsense. <laughs> he, he was not a fan. So those poor grid girls or uh, models of whatever sort they were probably weren't actually all that pleased. Yeah, I mean, um, I I don't know. I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I'm not sure I'd want to move on from the champagne spray myself. But uh, but you know, you never know. Maybe they should um, think of something good, entirely different. Maybe something more in keeping with the local customs, so they could have had some some warm sake at the end of the race. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I like that. I think let's just get the drivers blitzed on whatever drink is available. I, I I'd be quite. What would be, what would be the British Grand Prix? Would that be? Well, you could have gin and tonic, or you could have Pims. Pims is a lovely I would, summer drink. I I, be, I I was going to say I would think Pims. I know gin and tonics are popular in in England, but uh, I don't I don't know if that is necessarily an English drink. But a Pims a Pims cup. I, I, I think gin and tonic qualifies as an English drink, but yes, you know, Pims is more of a summer drink, so why not? Pims or, um, uh, you know, a pint of bitters, would that be the other one? Pint of warm beer, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, that would make, um, that would make the Spanish Grand Prix ceremony my favorite because I love sangria. And, uh, well, you can't call it the Spanish Grand Prix anymore. Anymore, it's going to be the uh, the Grand Prix of Catalonia. Well, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's funny. It's 
that is it's it's a it's a pretty serious thing. And I actually I interviewed um, Oriel Servia um, during my day job, uh, and I brought up Catalonia just in just as a light starting point. Like, oh yeah, you know, you're actually Catalonian. And I was thinking of like the you know Quebecois in Canada, how they're Canadian and they know that, but they identify very strongly with being from Quebec and, and, and it was like, no, it's a serious thing. The Spanish, uh, Spanish government is really being hard on the Catalonians. And it was like, Oh God. Oh, sorry. <laughs> like it was, it was just, it meant to be a lighthearted start to the interview and it, it was anything but. So I've, I've actually been following that, you know, political news pretty closely. And that would be funny if it was all of a sudden the Catalonian Grand Prix, wouldn't it? <laughs> But what? Yes, yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted your train of thought. So, what would they drink? Do you think uh, sangria? Oh sangria, my god! Yeah, that's right, of course, sangria. Yeah, and I would, I would absolutely, I would absolutely love that. What would be, what would be your favorite Grand Prix for podium ceremony? Um, let's see. What? Um, I guess uh, Russia would be quite fun, right? You could uh, get the frozen bottles of vodka out and start <laughs> right. shooting that. Um, I thought in Russia they would do Smirnoff ice. Is that not traditionally Russian? Am I? Uh... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I think um, fine is not, but you know. Of course, the listeners can't see this, but uh, you know, Chris and I are video chatting right now, and you should have seen the look on his face. <laughs> he, he 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 gave the look. Are is that? Are you really that stupid of an American? Is that? Do you really and think that, that? Those are not my words. Okay, putting words in no, your No, those weren't your those weren't your words. That was your face. <laughs> You're giving um, me that was the that was the dense American face. Uh, yeah, I. I mean, not to um, not to veer off from the Formula One discussion too much, but my wife uh, told me a theory today that she thinks that America threw their game last night uh, to avoid qualifying for the World Cup because politically they don't want to go to Russia. So, what do you think about that idea? It's quite a, an intriguing concept. I thought it's a bit of a conspiracy theory. I would say just a little bit, but ah. well, it, it was a known goal that knocked them out. You see, well. Yes, this is true. I wouldn't rule it out, but I would have a hard time actually believing it. But that is fascinating. So, yeah, now we're talking about uh, uh, soccer, as we would call it, or football, as the yes. rest of the world would call it. And, yeah, I think it's it's fascinating. Uh, it's fascinating how our conversation about the Formula One podium, podium ceremony has veered us into geopolitics and other sports. I'm I'm actually... I'm quite fascinated by this trajectory. I think this trajectory is roughly the same shape as the trajectory that uh, Ferrari's post-summer break season has gone. I, think, I was thinking exactly the same thing. It's, it is a weird sport, isn't it? You've got the announcement before the Grand Prix that uh, Carlos Sainz was going to jump ship early and move yep. from STR over to Renault. And he promptly put it in the barriers at, turn, at the exit of turn one. And I yeah. thought, well, how very appropriate, you know, how to, how to sign off with a, with a flourish. Um, Which meant that Palmer actually was not going to stay for the rest of the season. Yeah. And, and that uh, Torosa is just going to have to find someone. Well, Kofiat's back, isn't he? Kofiat's oh, you're back right. For That's right. Which, I mean, that is such a bizarre, I, the logic there, I look. I'm not expecting everyone to be um, clairvoyant, but to have one Grand Prix worth of foresight 
that knowing that Signs is off to Renault and that they wanted him early if they could get him, why did they can Kafiat just to ask him to come back one race later? Yeah, I don't quite understand how that all played out. Um, it seems, I, I, as I said in the last podcast, it doesn't seem to make sense for STR to let go of, you know, their the, the better performing driver, albeit except in Japan, because, uh, you know, there's quite a, a t- you mentioned this earlier, um, but there's quite a tight, you know, midfield battle of, uh, amongst the constructors. You've got Williams on 66, uh, STR on 52, Has on 43, who had a great Grand Prix in Japan. We should circle back and talk about that a little bit more. And then Renault on 42. So there's, you know, plenty of points up for grabs still. Um, and, you know, STR could pinch fifth place. And yet they've just allowed their better driver to go to one of their rivals that's only 10 points behind them in the Constructors' Championships. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't to me. Uh, no, no, it doesn't. And uh, I, I, I agree with your, I agree with your logic entirely. I don't understand it. What I can say is that there's probably underlying commercial concerns that are above people's heads that encourage them to make the decision they did. But even even that doesn't explain asking Kafiat to leave and then asking him back after one Grand Prix. And poor Palmer, I mean, goodness, I mean, just the roller coaster of emotions he's had to go through as he's in his first, uh, you know, full season with Formula One. And do I have that right? Or was he full season last year? I thought he, he was. He did do a full year last year, I thought. Okay, I thought yeah. I thought he, he jumped in mid-season and maybe I'm a year off. I mean, I you know, I, I do feel a little bit bad for Palmer, but he really underperformed this year, didn't he? I mean, with the odd exception of... I think qualifying in Monaco and a couple of other places, he really he really got blown away by Hulkenberg. And you just can't afford to be out, unless you're bringing a lot of money to the party, you can't afford to be outpaced weekend after weekend. So yeah, Palmer had his shot. He didn't quite get it done, did he? And it looks like his Formula One days are over. And rumour has it, he might be coming um, stateside to do some IndyCar, but we shall see if that uh, happens or not. But um yeah, it's um, it's interesting times. Uh, I think um, the Haas boys, as I mentioned, you had Magnussen and, and Grosjean getting both cars into the top ten. Uh, yeah, eighth, and, eighth ninth. and ninth. Yeah, that's right. And Magnussen was really quite forceful. His manoeuvre on Massa um, at turn one had me chuckling. Uh, you know, it was either going to come off or he was going to break his front suspension. Uh, he was rather fortunate. It was the former. So... Um, yeah, well, Massa he was. A- was uh, sorry to interject here, but he was uh, he was behind Massa for several laps, and Grosjean was also repeatedly saying, "Magnussen should let me by because I think I can get around Massa." So I, you know, Magnussen had lots of motivation to just be fed up and force his way through. Absolutely. I think he was helped by the fact that Massa, I think, ran wide, didn't he? And uh, so he just stuck it down the inside and, and prayed and, and got away with it. Massa was, um, you know, a bit of a roadblock for most of the weekend. I mean, he got uh, he got caught up in the in the in the battle for first place right at the end and got criticised uh, by a few people for that. And um, uh, you know, he had Alonso breathing down his neck and managed to hold on for the for the point, but. Uh, uh, I mean, he was certainly quicker than Stroll, but didn't really do his, his prospects of coming back for next year much good based on uh, 
based on irritating most of the rest of the field, really. And, I mean, was he quicker than Stroll? I, I feel like he was quicker than Stroll on Saturday. And Stroll got a bit unlucky, unlucky I believe. Uh, Stroll was blocked in qualifying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so Massa started uh, way up the grid. You know, Massa qualified. Uh, I'm just going to look at instead of guessing. Yeah, he, he ended up ninth on the grid. And um, and Stroll was 18th. And, you know, if you look at their finishing results, there was a lot closer than that. Stroll was, well, it wasn't that much closer. Stroll, oh, Stroll didn't even finish. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, he was a bit anonymous, wasn't he? He was sort of way back in like 13th, 14th until he, until he uh, retired. So, yeah, you're right. It's hard to actually uh, compare their ultimate pace, but uh, I'm just going on the basis that Massa stuck it in the top 10 and finished in the top 10 versus Stroll sort of being uh, completely AWOL. Well, it, it, it's funny you mention that, though, because it's uh, right on the right on FormulaOne.com, uh, and I haven't read the article yet, but, you know, uh, Kubica had a successful test with Williams. And uh, as uh, you and I discussed, I think we both would love to see him back in the car. Um, and Massa is still a little tweaked that, uh, you know, it's not smoother sailing for him to be in the car next year. But, uh, you know, I don't want to go down that path again. I just, I feel like Massa would have retired with pride last year. He's doing, uh, he's doing Williams a solid this year. But now he's starting. He's he's starting to take some of the polish off his reputation by getting fussy about whether he'll have the seat for next year or not. Yeah, I mean, he clearly still wants to keep racing, doesn't he? And doesn't quite know how to call it quits, uh, and uh, which is a shame because um, you know, and you could argue that. You know, he has uh, he has been the quicker of the two drivers for the bulk of the season, so maybe that's what's giving him this desire to to keep going. It's not like he's doing a Nelson PK and being obliterated by uh, by Stroll, but um, but yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement that uh, he should have probably retired, <laughs> and it's time for some fresh blood. Um, so yeah, very excited about Cooper. So I guess he's got another test coming up and they're going to, they're going to use Deresta as a sort of a benchmark for him. Uh, I can't imagine he'll have too much trouble matching Deresta's pace, frankly. So, um, yeah, hopefully this means that he'll probably get the drive. Well, that's interesting too, though, because you know, Deresta is desperately going to want to set a very strong benchmark. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't talk about times today at all from Silverstone, did they? So I think uh, it was more just getting him familiar with the car and uh, seeing how, how he stood up to running a ton of laps. Uh, but they seem to be being quite coy in, in releasing information about the, the specifics of the test. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this Suzuka is a racetrack owned by Honda. Honda was actually competing in this race. And, uh, you know, considering how Suzuka has gone in the past for Honda, it's just a cruel, bitter irony that Suzuka is one of the weakest tracks for them. And it's also the track they own. There was no no reliability issue with the track at all. It performed perfectly the whole weekend. (laughs) Yes. Yes, the racetrack was flawless. 
and um, even the weather improved drastically and quickly uh, this weekend. But, uh, you know, if you look at the qualifying results, you know, Alonso made it to Q3, and Alonso, uh, uh, you know, qualified 10th. You know, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn uh, didn't do quite as well, but he was right behind in 11th. And if you look at their Q2 times, 29.749 for Alonso, 29.778 for Van Dorn. So, uh, you know, they really, they weren't that far off. It was encouraging, and that was at a track that they've had a lot of trouble in the past. Mate, are you paid by Honda to say this stuff? Because honestly, I mean, your positivity is extraordinary. <laughs> I like uh, the this brand. Is a, this Don't is a team. I like the brand. I grew up. I grew up. I came of age in my racing world. I came of age in I a mean, Honda. Honda is great. I'm accused of being a Lewis lover, and you? What are you? A, a Honda? Uh, I can't think of the the right phrase. I mean, but well, clearly in love with Honda. So it doesn't matter whatever phrase you think of. The answer is no. I'm just telling you the objective truth that Honda did pretty darn decent considering their past. You're right. Almost three seasons in to the return of Honda, and they almost score points, and the car didn't blow up. That is tremendous. Well done, Chris, Honda. No, you're supposed to self-deprecate. You've got it. You've got a little backwards right now. So I was reading actually earlier this week that Honda um, put some of their problems this year down to the fact that their simulation. Uh, that they were running over the winter didn't quite match actual in-vehicle performance. Apparently, their, their test rig can't quite uh, recreate the G-loadings uh, that the engine goes through you know, during a normal race. Um, and they seem surprised by this, and that that's what, why they're having unreliability. I mean, are you kidding me? This is two seasons in. If this, yeah. was, if this was the story from the first season, you'd be like, yeah, fair enough. They've been out of the sport for a while. This is two seasons in. Have you, you not got reams of data from every track telling you exactly uh, what to expect? I mean, okay, yes, there was a step up in performance this year. The cars are quicker. Maybe the loading's gone up marginally. But nobody well, else has the, got the caught out gone by up. that. The loading's gone up more than marginally. I mean, the, the tires are a lot wider uh, and along with uh, you know track width and everything else. And no, I'm not defending Honda. I'm just telling you in general. That, uh, this statement was brought to you by Honda PR, but carry oh on. Listen, if if Honda was paying me, I'd have a lot more positive things to say. <laughs> and wow. uh, and but hold on, I would be very open and clear that Honda was paying me. This okay. this podcast would be sponsored by Honda, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not the case. Point is, I'm not defending the rig statement, but I am saying it's it's you know the cars definitely have more loading this year. And uh, it it's just a, it's an awful shame that Honda couldn't think that through because clearly they should have. And uh, I'm not defending them there, but the I'm still putting some of the blame for the performance on McLaren. I mean, <laughs> okay. McLaren. No, hold on. The McLaren had uh, a big chassis upgrade in Malaysia, and that improved the performance quite a bit. And I'm very much looking forward to how uh, the McLaren's going to go with the Renault engine because the second they're not, you know, competing very well, they're going to blame the engine. I'd mark my words. 
yeah, I don't think they'll have much of an excuse next year, will they? Because you've got plenty of decent Renaults up in the top ten. You know, even Renault themselves have been um, able to get up to seventh, eighth uh, pretty regularly this year. And, and yeah, we've, had, uh, we've had two wins for Red Bulls powered by Renaults, even though they're not badged as Renaults. So that is a race-winning engine. You can't you can't deny that. So if McLaren don't and I fully expect that Renault will be more competitive again next year. They may not be quite on a par, but I'm sure they'll be closer next season. And so I, I'm fairly sure that Red Bull will win races again next year. In fact, I fully expect Red Bull to be fully in the mix for the championship next season. And um, so McLaren will have nowhere to hide. It'll it'll be it'll be um, you know it'll be either their fault or or, or that's it really. I mean so. The, ultimately, this period's going to go down as a Honda failure. Uh, I, I, you may well be right that McLaren maybe had more part of that failure than, than, than certainly I think. But ultimately, this three seasons have been lost due to Honda. And um, I, I agree with that. I'm not. I'm certainly not trying to say none of the blame rests with Honda. I'm just saying McLaren should accept more responsibility than they do. Yeah. And, you know, the thing for me that's most disappointing about Honda is I still don't see them correcting anything. I don't see them making it any better. I don't see them making the the organizational changes, um, the, you know, the, the commitment to really, you know, remedy the situation. Uh, it looks like it's just going to keep going on. Uh, they, they are, the, you know, the, the, the least powerful powertrain out there and the least reliable. And I don't know if that's going to improve anytime soon. So, it, you know, it's going to be a tough old season next year when STRs rooted to the bottom uh, and they keep blowing up. Apart from no one's going to pay any attention because it's going to be Kefir, potentially, and, and Gasly. And so no one's going to care apart from a, a couple of um, Italians that support STR. So <laughs> I, I will... I will uh, have to remind you that uh, Honda's spark plug development has been going along swimmingly and uh, 100% reliability. Uh, 16 out of 16 spark plugs <laughs> remained bolted to the engine and uh, firing away, sparking as they should. So, Yeah, well, I mean, Ferrari are putting the, the blame squarely at their suppliers, aren't they? They're saying that that was, I think they, they quoted something like $55 part and... Um, uh, and so it wasn't their fault. So it's shocking. It, and they're blaming the, the Malaysia problems, uh, uh, you know, with, with supplied parts as well. So the question has been raised about their quality control and if they're really, you know, uh, verifying or validating the incoming part quality. But it, it, it's one of those things that is still astonishing to me that you can have, you can run the cars in so many sessions, so many races competitively and have not a single problem, and then you have two issues back-to-back. -back. I mean, I don't believe they've made a huge upgrade to the engine uh, in the last couple of races, and yet now they're seeing all these reliability issues. It's very strange. I mean, it's just uh, extraordinary. I've never seen quite such an implosion in, in terms of performance after such a good run. To just allow it to fall apart like this is extraordinary. I can't think of too many examples like that I remember seeing like this in the past. Can you think no. of any? Not, not off the top of my head, certainly. Um, but I do have someone to blame. Oh, yeah. I blame 
Sergio Marchione. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it's his fault. And the reason why I think it's his fault is because since he's taken over as uh, CEO of Ferrari, he has added a different and extra amount of pressure in bizarre places that I think are starting to unravel the paper-thin cohesion that they were just starting to develop. And uh, it's turning that place into a bit of a shop of chaos again. And I I think that... Uh, I certainly don't blame Sergio for putting the spark plug on incorrectly or having the spark plug be a bad one. He pulled it from the wrong bin. But I do think that the stress he's putting on the team played an indirect role. Yeah, I think you, you, that's an absolutely valid point. But I remember thinking, what was it, last season or the start of the season? I don't, I don't remember. It, it, may, or it may have been even earlier than that, maybe middle of last year, where he basically said their performance... Ferrari's performance was completely unacceptable and that he was going to change, you know, the whole organization and uh, make it work again. And I have to uh, have to say, I, I recall thinking this is just going to go from bad to worse because this is a guy who doesn't know anything about Formula One as a sport, you know, doesn't have that engineering background that many of the, you know, the, the team leaders, you know, they've all risen up through the ranks, you know, look likes of Williams and Ron Dennis, they all they all did the hard graph for many years before they led their own teams. And this guy's swanned in from running, you know, Fiat Chrysler and suddenly he knows everything there is to know about running Ferrari. And I thought, you know, this is just gonna this is just gonna turn into an unmitigated disaster. And yet, you know, a lot of what he did actually worked, didn't it? Because the team put in a, a pretty good run for the championship this year that I don't think anyone really predicted. Um, and but yes, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe he's pushed so hard that they've now run out of steam. That it's now literally starting to to tear itself apart. But uh, it is a shame. I mean, nobody wants to see. Um, I mean, I really like uh, what is his name, Arava Benny. I mean, he's such a character, isn't he? If you yeah, imagine, Benny, yeah, yeah, he, look, and, and he's he, so stereotypically Italian exactly. in such a beautiful way. If you look up the word Italian, it's got a picture of him, I think, chain smoking. That's um, right. But he's such a nice guy. And he's obviously so into uh, into the sport, feels you know incredibly passionate about it. And to see him hurting so badly after that uh, you know, latest disaster, nobody feels good about that. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back from, from this absolute dire three races. I mean, whether or not the change in... Uh, region to the US brings some a change in fortune and maybe you know who knows I mean all the Vettel has to do is win a couple of races in a row Hamilton have a few problems and you know the pressure the pressure will switch quite quickly but uh, but I can't I can't see that happening Hamilton's got such a great record in the US as well it's a track he loves um, he's um, you know he won the championship there two seasons ago uh, I could see maybe Vettel pipping him to the win if Vettel's really got the bit between his teeth, but I can't see Hamilton not being on the podium. And that's the problem, is that uh, Hamilton will probably keep scoring points and, until it's it's mathematically out of Vettel's reach. Yeah, I you know you're absolutely right that Hamilton's very strong there. And in fact, uh, the co-founder of this podcast and I, Jim Lau, went to the inaugural... Uh, Coda race at uh, the 2012 U.S. Grand Prix and were 
were in grandstands at turn 12 where Lewis Hamilton made the pass on uh, the Red Bull driver Sebastian Vettel for the lead um, of the 2012 race and went on to win the 2012 race. So, uh, you know, we saw Hamilton win the very first uh, Grand Prix held there. And, uh, yeah, he's had a wonderful record since. But I'm pretty sure Vettel did win in 13. Vettel is no slouch at Coda, certainly. And yeah. and if his car is on if his car is on form and holds up, uh, you know, I don't see I don't see him doing badly at all. Uh, I don't see, I I think they'll both be strong. And you know, just as you stated, though, it's going to take it's going to take the luck sw- to swing for there to be anything to talk about. Otherwise, you know, we'll see we'll see. If things go, at, and I'm using air quotes here, normally, uh, you know, we'll see the points swing seven to eight, even ten points back and forth this way or that. But obviously, uh, Vettel's going to have to see much bigger swings than that to have any hope for this year. And I'll tell you, uh, if you want to hear, uh, if you want to hear me really rally behind someone, I'll bring up Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen's been on wonderful form. Uh, he's been driving very well, and he's had just these last couple of Grand Prix, and he's just had terrible luck. And I would love to see his luck turn around a little bit and allow him to get at least one good result. I mean, he was on pole position uh, for the uh, maybe, oh, shoot. I hope it was this year. It had to be this year. He was on pole for Monaco. And... Uh, you know, and more or less had to give up the race win to Vettel. And uh, I would just love, with all of Vettel's bad luck, I would love to see Raikkonen be able to capitalize once and get a race win in. I mean, um, he didn't have a strong Japanese weekend, though, did he? He was, he was quite a way off Vettel in qualifying. I don't remember if he had any issues during Collie, but... Uh, um, and then he was a bit anonymous in the race as well. Um, so finished fifth, uh, some way behind the, you know, the Red Bulls and, and the Mercedes. So, uh, you know, I, did he, did he have any problems? Did they fit a Honda for that, for, for his car? <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yes, that, that was the problem. They, they put a, uh, a Honda leaf blower engine in uh, the back of his car. No, the uh, yeah, it's a good point. He was he was very competitive Q one Q two, but less so in Q three. He improved less than many of the others, and uh, yeah, he ended up uh, qualifying sixth. So his qualifying wasn't terribly impressive. Uh, I agree with that, but uh, you know, he has had gen- strong weekends this season. You're abs- you're correct in that statement, um, but he hasn't won a race, has he? So. Which is, but that's exactly my point. I yeah. mean, he he very well could have done in Monaco uh, had uh, Vettel not been more or less gifted that win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, do you think the Ferrari drivers will will he be allowed to win if um, if he's in a race winning position and Vettel's behind him, or will they will they swap him? I mean, that's the thing that I've never understood about Ferrari is uh, is that uh, desire to always just stage manage the result. Uh, and even when you know the championship's pretty much gone, they still continue to do that. Um, you know, I mean, it goes back to the point we discussed at length about Hamilton giving Botas back the position at Hungaroring. 
I mean, now it looks like a genius move, doesn't it? I mean, you said so at the time that actually won Botas's trust and it may have strengthened the team. Well, he's now looking like he's going to win at a canter. So absolutely he was right to give that place back. You know, and it's just it's a non-issue now. Whereas Ferrari, I suspect, even in the last Grand Prix, if the season's already gone, they'll let Vettel win over Raikkonen because that just seems to be how they're programmed. It's very curious to me. They can't just let the guys get on with it. Yeah, and I, you know, I... This race were it to theoretically happen at the USGP, they could use uh, championship contention as a reason, and uh, they could use no matter what Grand Prix or drivers they could make an argument for constructors' points, but not for switching drivers, could they? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, Ferrari. I feel like that's kind of a legacy of the Schumacher era to. Um, really just have one clear number one and then one secondary. I don't I don't know how Ferrari worked too super well before Schumacher entered the team if they always had a clear number one and a clear number two that way. Um, you know, you'd have to tell me that. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I remember certainly the days when Prost were driving for Ferrari. I mean, obviously Prost was rather special... Uh, but they always seem to have a, a designated number two. They had um, Berger and uh, Alesi at one stage, and there didn't appear to be a clear number one or number two back in those days. So I think it's kind of varied depending on the driver lineup. I think you know part of their way of keeping Vettel happy um, is to is to give him preferential status, um, and maybe Raikkonen at this point in his career is willing to accept that, uh, uh, which seems a little bit sad, but. Uh, but that's just the way they run their team. And, and, you know, it goes back to the point I made earlier. I, you could complain all you like about the years of domination of Mercedes, but at least they always made the championship kind of interesting. Um, and Ferrari don't don't think that way. It's all about just trying to get their, their car and, and their driver, you know, home in the best possible position. Yeah, that's right. So, well, it'll be very interesting to see. It's now become this question of will the Ferrari what what bizarre twist of fate will befall the Ferrari this weekend and uh, with with luck none and we'll we'll have a, a good race on our hands and uh, maybe we'll even see some cowboy hats on the podium again who knows maybe they'll bring that back but the, um, no the go good, ahead the good news about the race was that uh, Vettel uh, at least got off the line and that allowed Hamilton to do a glorious chop on him, which of course was what Vettel tried to do in Singapore and it didn't work but uh, Hamilton got away with it but it was quite a dramatic uh, chop I thought, with not did, a lot of room to spare Did Hamilton show Vettel his clean heels? <laughs> Pretty much Look at those heels, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um I want to bring up some Honda news. You're going to be shocked to hear. Uh, I am shocked. Here comes an infomercial by Honda. Uh, no, there, there is. Uh, it's not. Nothing's confirmed yet, but they have agreed. There have been talks uh, that Jensen Button uh, might join Penske uh, to be a driver for the um, Acura prototype in IMSA. And uh, today it was announced that uh, Ricky Taylor. Um, currently racing a Cadillac prototype for Wayne Taylor Racing is actually joining Penske. Uh, so the 
the full-time driver lineup is actually now booked. Castro Neves and Ricky Taylor in one car. Juan Pablo Montoya, and I think it's Dan or Dave Cameron, I don't know that name as well, in the other car. Um, but there is still conversations of Jensen Button being part of the Penske Honda prototype team when uh, three drivers are needed. And there's a couple of Grand Prix, uh, Grand Prix, there's a couple of races where that's, uh, that's required. Petit Le Mans, 12 Hours of Sebring, those, those races. So uh, Button might be racing for Honda in 2018, but also in a Penske. I don't quite understand what's happened to Jensen Button. He um, he came out with a statement saying that he he waited too long to retire. He should have retired a season earlier. And I didn't really understand his point. Because um, he had a decent last season, right? He didn't get blown away by Alonso. Um, he had a few good races. And what's the point in lamenting the fact that you carried on for a year and earned another 20 million or whatever he was paid? Uh, what's he doing now that's you know so important that he couldn't do as a race driver? I, I don't I don't get that at all. I mean, it's almost like he's forgotten how fortunate he is to have had such a long and illustrious racing career, especially you know in Formula One for so many seasons. And he's come out the end as a world champion, as uh, you know completely unscathed, no no major shunts. So I it's just. That mystifies me, and and maybe that's why he's struggling to find a drive because his his motivation apparently is completely evaporated. I mean, what he does triathlons now, so maybe he should just go off and do that and leave the racing world to itself. Because I just that that type of comment just winds me up, honestly. I mean, I like yeah, Jensen I clearly. I like Jensen. Uh, I always was a fan of his, but that sort of stuff is just just ludicrous. Well, you know, I think. I think maybe he would have. I don't. I'm not trying to defend him here because I agree with you. It's a bit silly statement to say, especially after the fact. Uh, you know, I think that maybe he would have had a little bit more pride. Um, it, there would have been fewer Grand Prix since his last race win had he retired a season earlier. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, I don't know what he's saying. But I, I, in general, generally speaking, I think he's well spoken. I think he's a gentleman. And I think he's uh, a very smooth, very fast race car driver, which suits him very well for um, endurance racing. And so I would love to see him uh, get involved with uh, with the uh, Penske team. And Penske is, is a, a very, very professional organization. And I think Jensen would be suited very well there. And I think he would drive very well. And I think... Uh, I think he would find a lot of love um, with uh, Castro Neves and Ricky Taylor. Um, both of those guys, I was lucky enough to meet them both. And, uh, you know, Ricky is just, he's just a big kid. And so he's a lot of fun. And uh, Castro Neves, you know, come on, he's, he was a star. He, people danced with him. Come on, you have to love him. But oh, yeah. he is. Castro Neves is a star. Yeah, and he's, a, he's a very likable guy. Yeah. I did, uh, I had a selfie with, um, Castro Neves, and the reason I did this, uh, Chris, was because this was at the Detroit Grand Prix. Um, the had weekend, a Honda T-shirt uh, on. leading up to that. What's that? He had a Honda T-shirt on, so he just wanted to sort of get in there. In the That's shop. right. That that was it. Okay. No, I, and I I told him uh, I I really want to do this selfie because my mother is a huge fan of yours, 
from Dancing with the Stars. And I went on to say, look, I'm also a massive fan of yours because uh, his very first race win was at the Detroit Grand Prix in the year 2000. And that's when he started his fence climbing. He did that at the Detroit Grand Prix. Oh, that's the only way to get out of the circuit, actually, after the race is to fence climb. Yes. (laughs) Well, as you can see, Penske has since improved that. But but he, uh, you know, so he was a stand-up guy. And anyway, so he said, yeah, sure, we'll do the selfie. And (laughs) he ended up, he's like, oh, here. He knew all the settings on the phone. So he took the selfie for us. Because he was so used to it, but he was he was such a gentleman about it. So, uh, Jensen Button, you probably listen to this podcast on a regular basis, being the fine gentleman that you are. Try iced tea and uh, join Penske uh, Acura. I think you'll have a great time. Yeah, it's it's hard to know what you should be doing as an ex Formula One driver. I guess um, you know clearly Alonso's got it all mapped out. He's going to win win Indy five hundred and then Le Mans, but. Uh, uh, Lewis, uh, sorry, Lewis, Jensen doesn't appear to have that clarity of thought uh, or any real desire to do any sort of racing at all. Um, I mean, I, I read uh, recently that Yoast Racing will continue uh, after Audi's uh, has pulled out from endurance racing and have signed a deal with Mazda. I mean, that would be quite a good uh, ride for next season, wouldn't it? I mean... A Yoast yeah. Mazda. I mean, you know, Mazda is the only Japanese brand to have won at Le Mans, so they can, uh, you know, they know how it's done. Unlike uh, Toyota. Um, so, oh, <laughs> poor Toyota. <laughs> yeah, they've had a bad couple of years, but um, you know, that that to me would make a lot of sense. But yeah, I, I, as I said, I don't really understand any of his logic, uh, and uh, it's a shame, really. But he seems a happy enough chap, so. So you're you're right about uh, Yoast Racing uh, going to Mazda, and that was actually a big deal in the sense that uh, Mazda had a long-standing relationship with uh, the race team Speed Source, and uh, Mazda broke that because they really want to make a serious effort at uh, winning in uh, top-level endurance racing. And you know, Yoast is—you'll pardon this bit cliche for me to do—but Yoast is the Penske of endurance racing. Um, but you know, Penske is also endurance racing. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure it would be a great series, but, uh, because uh, Jensen made the declaration that he's sticking with McLaren and by, and, you know, by extension, at least through this year, he was sticking with Honda. So I think there was already, uh, some relationship ties and some Honda money that might help compel him to stay in a Honda branded car. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, he was um, he was their super sub, wasn't he, at Monaco? And uh, he was always uh, still potentially could run in an F one car this season. So yeah, okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I you know yeah, it's twenty six years since Mazda. Won Le Mans. I was there that day that Johnny and a couple of other chaps uh, uh, won the race in a rotary-powered car. Oh, the 787B is one of my all-time favorite race cars. That would have been so cool. Yeah, and um, so, yeah, it'll be fun to see them back because, you know, you've had a lot of, um, yeah, endurance racing has suffered a lot of major manufacturer pullouts, hasn't it, really? You had Porsche, then then Audi. Uh, everyone's off to Formula E if they're, you know, not doing Formula 1. So, um, 
yeah, it, it needs a couple of manufacturers coming back into the sport because you'd, you'd really like to see more than four or six cars contest uh, um, the, the primary category in, in endurance racing. Uh, what is what is it called? Uh, LMP, well, LMP1 class, right? So, that's right, LMP1. Yep, Lamar prototype number one. <clears throat> it's, it's a, you know, Lamar has to have a big come to Jesus meaning with themselves and really figure out what they're doing with the rules, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, the prototype uh, class has really kind of suffered. And I mean, LMP one and two uh, LMP one, you know, we're officially at this moment, just down to one manufacturer, Toyota and uh, LMP two. It's basically, you know, specked out and not, that terribly interesting um but at the exact same time gte pro class was immensely compelling you know the the top five finishers um in the 2017 lamar race were from five different makes so it was aston martin ford ferrari no aston martin ford chevrolet porsche ferrari Top five, five different makes. And it might have been Ferrari, Porsche. I have four, four or five I'm not 100% on. But so in in some ways, there's there's a big part of me that's like, you know, just I know it won't happen. But it's like, you know what? Ditch LMP, LMP classes and just bring it back to the sports cars because that was immense. And, uh, you know, it was the GT40 that won overall in the 60s. And the GT40 won in class last year and was second in class this year. And it was great, great racing, and it was, you know, it was a 24-hour-long sprint race. It was incredible. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that would be a lot more fun because, um, you know, you almost had an LMP2 car win this season because the, uh, the, uh, you know, the Toyotas expired pretty quickly, and... Um, Audi, Audi had some problems themselves, didn't they? So they had the the one car well, that managed to limp home ahead of the first of the LMP two cars. Audi, Audi was out, and uh, both the Porsches had trouble, and then all three Toyotas oh, right. had Porsche, trouble. Yeah. Yeah. All, and but the Porsches, the Porsche with the least amount of trouble, had just enough to get around the LMP two car in the last whatever it was hour, two hours. Yeah, it was, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty nuts. So. But yeah, I think that would be. Uh, you should propose that to the um, what is it, Club Delaware? I think they call themselves, and uh, they are they are crazy. They are a crazy group of individuals. They're always at war with everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're an well, organisation. It appears, and they always come up with rules that are slightly slightly out of kilter with the rest of the sport. Uh, they just do everything according to their own like little. Le Mans world, it's it's quite. And, but they've been, you know, it's been an amazing race for a long, long time. So they've obviously been doing a lot of things right, but they they never quite seem to get the rules as you think they should be based on any of the endurance series running anywhere else, particularly the US. Right? I mean, there's always been a slight disconnect between the endurance formula in the United States versus Le Mans specifically. That's right. And but there is a, there is a lot of convergence happening. So hopefully it will continue to converge for farther. But um it's it, it it's uh something that you have to understand. You know firsthand how good my British accent is. Uh my French accent is that much better. 
and mm-hmm. my French is better still. So oh, okay, I will absolutely okay. have a talk with them, and we'll we'll get it straightened out in a couple of weeks' time. I would imagine. My my, you know, I have many memories of my two trips to Le Mans, and um, the most memorable was the, the quality of the toilets were not impressive. You had to buy <laughs> had to buy toilet paper by the sheet before you entered the shack like structure that they'd. Uh, that they'd set up for the weekend. It, yeah, it was sort of like 1950s era toilets. In this was in the early 90s, so uh, yeah, not great. Be, <laughs> be, be prepared if you if you plan the trip. That's all. I'm well, I'm glad say. that you got to see Johnny Herbert win at least. <laughs> it doesn't so, detract from the overall weekend, the state of the toilets. <laughs> I will add, but yeah, you know, take your overall. And the food, come on, the food had to be amazing. I don't remember much. I didn't do much eating. There was some drinking done, obviously, well, but uh, I don't remember fine. much eating. Fair. But yeah, I mean, it's France, so you're not going to go far wrong. So, okay, so we have four races to go. United States, Mexico, Brazil, Abu Dhabi. Uh, and uh, the U.S. Grand Prix is uh, a little more than a week away. Do you have any predictions? Um, well, I think, yeah, a good chance a Red Bull's going to win. Uh, I'm not quite sure how. They probably won't qualify on the front row, but they seem to be very quick in race conditions now. So if it's a, if it's a hot weekend in uh, Texas, uh, then there's a good chance that uh, Verstappen might win it. You know, the back straight at uh, Circuit of the Americas, Cota, is uh, one kilometer long. Mm. So I think horsepower does play a pretty darn decent role here. But did you see that impeding... Verstappen, uh, uh, you know, the Spoon 130R chicane, he, he wasn't losing a lot of ground to Hamilton, was he? Yeah, really? no, fair point, fair point, yeah. So, well, this will be this will be uh, the next chance to see which supplier screws over Ferrari this time around. Um, but, uh, uh, Chris, again, always good talking to you. And, um, and you're open. Well, thank you for that. And uh, so... Before we go, I want to thank everyone for listening, and please do take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get your podcasts. That really helps us out, helps people be aware of us. And as always, we can be reached at, I say we, but it's me. I can be reached at feedback (laughs) (laughs) feedback at funwithcars.com. That is feedback at funwithcars.com. Um, any hate mail, send to chris at chrisroche.com. Um, tweet us at fwcars and check out our Facebook page on facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, thank you again. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. <laughs>